couple things to mention real quick, um, but as I'm doing that, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 18, that's where we will be this morning. We'll be studying uh, primarily verses 21 through 35, so if you have your Bible with us, with you, Matthew 18. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can follow along in the front of your notes. We're going to continue with the series we started last week called The Disciples Boot Camp. This is part two, How to Forgive Boot Camp. Um, I've never been to one. I probably would benefit from one, but I've never been to one. But boot camp uh, in the military is where new recruits go to learn the basic habits and disciplines that they need to be good soldiers. And so kind of borrowing that concept, we're not making soldiers here. We're making, well, I mean, some people old school would say we're making soldiers of the cross, which always scared me a little bit. But... um, but, you know, I guess the analogy works. Um, when I, I remember in children's church, we sang, uh, what was the military song? Marching in the infantry and riding in the cavalry. I like the shooting the artillery part. Um, I really got into that because um, boys can make anything into a gun. It's great. Um, but uh, we're, not, we're not pulling the military conversation into this morning. Really, we're here about to be and make disciples of Jesus. And there are still some basic habits and disciplines, and they start off that way. Well, Pastor, why do you use those words, habits and disciplines? Because at first, you have to train yourself to do things you probably aren't already doing before they become natural. Now, I hope that after 10 or 15 years of studying the Bible, it's not just a habit or a discipline, but that it becomes a passion of yours. That becomes something that you love to do and you can't wait to do. But a lot of those things have to start with a degree of habit and discipline. And so, um, you know, we're trying to boil it down to the ABCs, those critical foundational things that you and I really need to get a handle on in order to grow and mature and really become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how to confess our sins. So, you know, if you missed that, you can go back and get the podcast. This week, we're going to talk about how to forgive. And our text this morning is one that I've, I've studied a lot and I've actually taught on before, um, but God showed me some, some different layers to this that I'd never seen before, so I'm excited to, to share some of those things with you. It's a long passage, and I know some, most weeks I ask you to read with me. I'll read most of it until we get to the last verse, and I'll give you a cue, and that's the one I want us to read together. This is a parable, so we're going to read the whole story together, and then the part where Jesus stops telling the story and actually kind of looks at the people that he's talking to and makes the application statement, that's the one we'll read together. So I'll begin at verse 21, and I'll, I'll cue you when we're going to read together out loud. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Well, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and they told the king everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured 
until he had paid his entire debt. Now here's the part I want us to read together. Ready? That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I guess you have a different translation than me. Mine's right, yours is wrong. That's why it sounded like we were talking in a foreign language together this morning. Let me read mine together again. Let me read mine by myself again. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So it's a pretty uh, powerful story that Jesus used that has two twists in it that the listeners wouldn't have been expecting. We're going to look, that, look at that in just a moment, but just want to familiarize yourself with a couple of the terms we're going to use this morning. The big idea, the one statement that I want to really try and build this whole message on is this. It's in your notes. Uh, if you'd like to take notes, you can write it down. The big idea is that forgiving others when they do us wrong is not optional for the true disciples of Jesus, okay? The big idea is that forgiving others when they do us wrong is not optional for the true disciple of Jesus. And I want you to get it not being optional with it still being a choice, okay? You still sometimes have a choice even when you don't have options. Let me describe, like when my son says to me, I don't want to go to bed right now, I want to stay up and play. And I say, staying up and playing is not an option. He still has a choice. He can stay up and play, but he will meet with dire consequences, I would say this, outside of being a Christian, you have a lot more probably choices and options than you do if you decide to follow Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of advantages you have in following Jesus Christ that are worth forfeiting some of the other options. Okay, But I want you to see this, and I really want to build this idea in this morning. Forgiving others when they do us wrong is not optional for the true disciple of Jesus. Now, why that trips us up is probably there are a lot of different misconceptions about what forgiveness really is and what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciling a relationship and being buddies again, okay? Forgiveness is not excusing people and saying the bad that they did is really okay. Forgiveness doesn't even necessarily have to involve somebody else. But as we'll see this morning, forgiveness really isn't optional. It's not optional for true disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus always wants his followers to be about the work of forgiving other people, keeping short accounts and keeping our hearts clean when people do us wrong. So let's define it a little bit further. You might have heard me share this definition before. I'm going to add something to it this morning. Here's here's the basic definition I've used for forgiveness for the last several years. To forgive is actually an accounting term, which means to cancel a debt entirely. So it was a mathematical term. I know we have accountants in the house this morning. We have several people here that are into accounting. Um, forgiveness was originally, even biblically, uh, it was an accounting term. What it doesn't mean is you, it means to take an invoice with an actual bill. Someone has run up a debt and tearing it up. It's tearing up the invoice, okay? That's what it means. When someone does you wrong, a debt is created. This is where this idea comes from. Well, you did this wrong. You owe me because a debt was created. They owe you. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the person who harmed you, okay? Now, we've talked about this before. Let me take this a little bit deeper this morning for just a moment. Forgiveness, by definition, then, involves voluntary suffering. Because here's really what forgiveness is. There's a little more to it. Forgiveness means canceling a debt entirely 
and either paying it off or absorbing it yourself. That's really what forgiveness is. When an offense happens, a debt is created and somebody is going to pay for that. Either the person who hurt you or you. One of the two is you're going to pay for it. Let me give you an example. If, if young Sarah is out throwing a football with her father, Pastor Stewart, in front of my house, and Pastor Stewart just, you know, is reliving his Patriots days and pretending he's Tom Brady, and he throws the ball way over Sarah's head and it goes through my window and it breaks my window, a debt has been created. And I have two options at this point. I can either hold Stuart completely responsible and he must pay to have my window replaced or I can choose to forgive him. And then I must do one or two things. I must either pay for the window myself or go without a window. Do you understand any time you choose forgiveness to choose to not seek repayment What you're actually saying is, I'll pay the debt myself. I'll absorb it myself. It happens in other areas too, not just financial areas. If someone lies about you, or if someone gossips about you, and it hurts your character, and it hurts your reputation, and you choose to forgive them, guess what? You're going to have to rebuild your reputation yourself over time. Choosing forgiveness, you like that, Dave. Choosing forgiveness... Choosing forgiveness means somebody has to suffer voluntarily. And that means it's you. That's what forgiveness is. Well, pastor, I don't know that I agree. Let me tell you why you agree. That was really arrogant, wasn't it? (laughs) Because all of Christianity is based on what I just said. Because you know why Jesus actually had to die? Because someone had to suffer voluntarily for the debt you and I created. There is a debt that I created and you created by sinning and disobeying God. A massive debt. And God could have done one of two things. He could hold you and me personally responsible for a debt we could never repay. Or somebody else would have to choose to forgive us and also pay the debt. And that is what Jesus Christ did when he hung on the cross and he died. He paid a debt in full that you and I created. And he said, I will suffer and I will absorb the payment so that you can be forgiven. You see, the reason why forgiveness is so difficult for all of us is because it's so expensive. Forgiveness is so costly because forgiveness means I'm going to give up my pursuit of seeking repayment. I'm going to extend forgiveness. Whatever loss that there has been, I'm going to absorb that myself. Now, that's steep, and that's difficult, and that's messy, but it is also possible. There is nothing more Christ-like you can probably do than forgive other people because ultimately his willingness to suffer for us is what made this all possible. So if we really want to be true disciples, then we need to walk in the steps of Jesus and learn how to forgive like Christ forgave us. So I just want to briefly retell this parable for you very briefly, just so that we don't miss anything that Jesus was trying to say. And I'll give you a couple application points and we'll close. So here's the story that we just read. The story speaks of a king in charge of a kingdom. And the king decides one day he's going to open up the ledger book 
and he's going to look down the list of how much everybody owes him, and he's going to call in his debts. There is no more time to pay it off. Today is judgment day. It's reckoning day. So the first person he calls in is a servant who owed him, the New Living Translation says, millions of dollars. But you know we can even be more specific than that. If you go to some of the other more literal translations, it tells us specifically the quantity that Jesus used. That would have been a shock to his hearers, even though it doesn't mean much to us. He said there was someone who owed him talents, right? Do you remember how many talents the person owed him in the other translations? I'll tell you, 10,000 talents. Ooh, you know what a talent is? <laughs> we don't use that. A talent in that day was a measurement of weight. One talent equaled 75 pounds in the current currency, which was gold. So he owed him a lot of gold, 750,000 pounds of gold. I did a little math. I love math. At the price gold closed at on Friday... If you multiply this out, here's what he owed him. $14,616,000,000. Like one-tenth of our national debt. It's amazing. $14,616,000,000. You realize if he does, and, and, and what does he do? He doesn't argue with the king. He says, I think your records are wrong. doesn't argue with him. King says, you need to repay me. And he, he says, I can't. My question is, what in the world did he do to run up such a tab? I know some of your ladies are thinking, if you gave me a MasterCard with a $14 billion limit in an afternoon, I could do it. So the king says what? He ordered that he be sold and his wife be sold, his children be sold, and all his possessions so that he could pay off the debt. I got news for you. I don't even think that would pay off the debt. $14.5 billion? He says, give me more time. I'll repay it. Now let's think about that. If this joker could earn a million dollars a year to just put towards debt repayment, it would take him 1,462 years to pay it off. What if he really hit it big? He founded some new startup company for social media 2,000 years before we came along. At a million dollars a day, it would take him 40 years to repay it. What I want you to see and what Jesus wants to see is the debt was huge and there was absolutely no way for him to ever repay it. He deserved death. But he pleads with the king to have mercy on him. And here's the first twist in the story. The king forgives him and cancels his debt entirely. That would be a really good day for me. If M&T Bank just said, you know what, you've been through a lot. Let's just rebuild your house. Let's just forget about the mortgage. Just enjoy your life. I would, I would learn to do a backflip. <laughs> it was a good day. And what happens? That servant who owed the king billions of dollars leaves and goes out and finds somebody who owes him some money. He owes him a few he owes him 100 denarii. A denarius was about one day's wages. And our economy, about 12 grand. Now, that's not a little bit of money. If there's somebody in your life that owes you 12 grand and they're ducking you, I promise you, you know who they are and you're probably thinking about it right now. Right? Let's not minimize this. This is a serious debt. But compared to $14.5 billion, well, he finds this guy. 
and he runs up on him. He grabs him by the throat and he starts to choke him. He's intentionally trying to hurt him. And he says, you give me all my money back or I'm going to have you thrown in prison. And a familiar line comes out of this other person. He says, just give me mercy and I'll pay it back. He says, not good enough. He has him thrown in prison. He gets even. He takes revenge. He gets what he thinks is fair. He gets justice. Well, the other people who see this think that this is absolutely out of turn. And they go to the king and they say, king, we're very upset about this. We watched you just forgive this guy. You know what he did? He went right out and found somebody who owed him a few thousand dollars and choked him and had him thrown in jail. Well, now the king, here's the, other, here's the last twist in the story. King calls him back and basically says, our situation has changed. I forgave you of billions of dollars. I forgave you because you pleaded for mercy. And I granted it. Shouldn't you have been able to then turn that around and forgive the other person who owed you, but owed you far less than what you owed me? It's showing the evidence that your heart really doesn't understand forgiveness. He says, now, take him away. And they throw him into the outer courts. And this is what the the conclusion statement is. Jesus says, and this is how my heavenly father will respond to those of us who refuse from our heart to forgive people for their sins against us. The very sobering passage. There's a couple things in there we need to see. First of all, there's coming a day when God's going to settle his accounts. You just need to know this. There's going to come a day that you and I, if you're listening and watching, you probably won't be surprised by it, the Bible says. But the reality is, life's not going to go on forever and ever and ever. Whether you die or whether God comes back and, and you know we all go home, to, there's going to come a day where you and I stand before God with all the facts before us, and he's, we're going to be held accountable for how we live. Just you need to understand and live your life in such a way you're prepared for that day. Second thing you need to see is that the characters in the story are where we figure out how we play into this. The king represents God. Who do you think rep- is represented by the, the servant who owed the king billions of dollars? It's not just me, but that's us. That's the character Jesus wants us to read ourselves in the story. And that other servant, the other citizen, who owed the first guy 12 grand, that's anybody in your life that's done you wrong. That's that person. What Jesus is saying is this. What he's trying to get across is this. You and I have amassed for ourselves a staggering debt to God that even if we wanted to repay, we never could, and our only hope is that he'll have mercy on us. But the good news is that if we appeal to him for mercy, guess what? He gives us mercy, and he cancels the debt. But the last thing you need to see is God expects you and me to extend the same kind of forgiveness to others that we would like to receive for ourselves. Now we have to be careful when we interpret the story. That last verse can be troublesome because some people want to take this as far as saying you earn your forgiveness from God by forgiving other people. You and I can't earn our forgiveness. It's not earned. That's not what the story is saying. What the story is saying is this unforgiveness in the heart of a Christian towards someone who's done them wrong is evidence that that person has never truly understood forgiveness. It's the evidence that whatever you think happened when you ask God to forgive you, that reality never sunk into the point where it changed you. The king's shock is that after this person had such a huge debt forgiven that it never sunk far enough into his heart for him to have mercy on people who have done far less. He said, forgiveness hasn't even changed you. Maybe you're not even forgiven. That's the reality, friends. 
the deeper you understand how much you've been forgiven of, the more possible it will be for you to forgive other people when they do wrong against you. So how? How, how do we get after this? I'll give you just a few practical points. Won't spend long on them, but the reality is this. You have people you need to forgive, and I have people I need to forgive. You have people you're in the process of forgiving, and they just keep doing dumb things. And so do I. You have difficult people in your life who love to criticize, and they're negative, and they don't change, and they're in that cycle of doing the same thing over and over and over again. They'll never say they're sorry. They don't think they did anything wrong. You have those people, and so do I. And yet, as much as it's possible for me, I don't want that person to cost me the intimacy of relationship and God because I'm unable to come to a place of forgiveness. At some point, it's not even about them anymore. It's about me and what I need to do to be healthy because I don't want to be held prisoner and victimized in my life over and over and over again by someone who might not ever change, but I can still choose to be healthy and I can still choose to be free and I can still choose because, listen, Jesus not only helps billions and billions of people to forgive, he can help you personally forgive. He can help me personally forgive the other side of the coin is there's you're probably in need of forgiveness from some people you need to be forgiven and so do i there's probably some people in your life that you've done wrong you might not even know that you did them wrong so even as we need to forgive we're also at times in need of forgiveness so here's a couple things that you can do that the word shows us that'll help you get some some teeth into this and move forward first of all you have to choose to forgive and I don't want that to be a contradiction with the earlier statement that there are no, you know, that forgiveness is not optional. It's still a choice. <clears throat> but if you want to be in right relationship with God, it's a choice to obey or disobey, to work towards forgiveness, or to harbor unforgiveness and anger and resentment in your heart. Again, I know people have done some awful things to you. And I'm not suggesting from a moment that forgiveness means you have to classify what they did to you as being okay. Or that you have to roll over and take it. Actually, the contrary, and we'll look at that in a moment. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Forgiveness doesn't mean you can't hold people to their, to their stuff. It doesn't mean that you can't call people to correction. In fact, the Bible challenges us and calls us and, 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 and tells us to aspire to not only forgive people, but also to hold them account and rebuke them when they do wrong. You can do both. But it begins with a choice to forgive. Matthew 18, 35 says this. My father will also do this to you if you from your heart cannot forgive. So something has to come out of your heart. Let me simplify this even further. A Christian is always responsible to start the process. I don't know that I like that. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Matthew 5, 23 through 26 says this. We should go to somebody if we think they have wronged us. Matthew 18 says we should go to someone if we think we have wronged them. Both verses say this. Whether you think that someone has done you wrong or you think you've done somebody wrong, it always says you're to go to them. So God always puts it in our court and says, forgiveness is your move next. What if the other person doesn't want to talk or what if they've already refused it? That's fine. If you've already gone to them and they're not going to work it out, the Bible also gives you a protocol for that. Okay? But if you've gone to them and they don't want to work it out, you can still be clean in your own heart. But the Bible says if nothing is happening yet, 
you've done somebody wrong or you think they've done you wrong, the next step is not to talk about it, not to come to me about it, not to go gossip about it, not to hurt people, not to, har- not to replay it in your mind so that you stay hostile and angry and get angrier all the time, not to argue in, to imaginary people in thin air out loud by yourself and practice your rebuttal to all their defenses. It's to go to them. It's to go to them. The choice is and it always will be yours to make. Jesus' counsel to us is to choose to forgive from your heart. And you have to realize that forgiving others is a spiritual, supernatural exercise. In fact, it's almost, it's almost impossible to truly forgive others without God's help. But God can help you forgive because not only has he forgiven tens of billions of people, he also has the power to help you specifically. Just remember, he helps people who admit their helplessness. So, you know, a little prayer you might be able to say is, God, I admit I cannot forgive this person with my own power. Help me. Help me to understand how much you've forgiven me so I can forgive the person who's hurt me. So it starts with a choice. Secondly, you have to release your anger and bitterness in a healthy way. You have to release your anger and bitterness in a healthy way. And I can feel the objections already. Phil, you don't know me. I don't get angry. Sure you do. Sure you do. You might prefer other words like frustrated, upset, grieved, bothered, irritated, hurt, miffed. Those are just cousins of anger. The fact is we all get angry. And every time offense is perpetrated against us, anger is that parent emotion that's raised up in our hearts. But also understand this. Christians sometimes have a problem meaning they get angry. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. Okay? There's... You know, the biblical word, I'm going, I mean, we already broke out the, you know, I'm a soldier in the Lord's army. Biblical word that they used when I grew up was righteous indignation. My mother was righteously indignated, like, most of the time. You know, like, and I hold myself personally responsible for that. We all get angry. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. It is possible for you or for me to be angry and to get it out in a healthy way without sinning. Jesus did. However, anger is also a very volatile emotion, and it can lead us to sin very, very, very quickly. So we need to get a handle on it before it gets a handle on us. So there are unhealthy ways you can deal with anger. Here's a couple of them that we do when we get offended, we get bothered. We hurt the other person intentionally. We inflict pain by keeping track of their wrongs. That's called injustice collecting. Some of you could give me a long list as to why this person's no good. You could go back years. You could give dates and details. You may have pictures. That's called injustice collecting. It makes you angry. It makes you hard. It makes you bitter. And it works contrary to forgiveness. It's better to keep a shorter list and deal with it as it accrues. Okay? You can be demanding and controlling. You can, you can actually hurt people by avoiding them. And with Sometimes you're the type of person who wants to inflict pain. Other people, you withhold something they really deserve that every other decent human being in your life should get but them. You won't say hi, you won't shake their hand, you won't be kind, you won't honor them, you won't be respectful to them. That's not a healthy way to deal with anger, but it is a way to deal with it, okay? You have to remain as cordial as possible. The Bible says, as much as it's possible, as much as lies within you, live peacefully. Now, sometimes it means it's not possible anymore, but it means as much as it's possible, we need to move in that direction. Another way we hurt people, this one I see a lot, especially in church, we sanitize this a lot, because we... It's gossip and slander. Now, no one admits that they gossip. We call it all kinds of other things, okay? And I know it's a little bit nebulous. There's a difference between getting counsel 
about a delicate situation for someone who's wise and trustworthy where you're solution-centered and you're going to move together biblically and just dumping on someone. We demit- when you gossip and slander somebody, what you do is you diminish the person who's wronged us by spreading and infecting other people with our hurt under the guise of warning them or to seek their sympathy or counsel. So you really have to go into your heart. You have to ask yourself, if I need to talk to somebody about this situation and get good counsel, am I really going to this person because I want them to tell me I'm wrong or I want them to tell me if I am wrong, I want, want them to tell me my fault or I want them to give me good advice or am I going to them because I need a shoulder to cry on? I need an ally. I need to get back at this other person by trashing them to this person and then I'll feel better. That's not helpful either. It's sin. And two wrongs don't make a right. Another thing that we do is we harbor ill will. I said this earlier. We replay the tapes of this person's wrongdoing so that we can keep our hostility fresh and active. Instead, what we need to do is recognize that that person is just as sinful and broken as you are. So what are some healthy ways that we can deal with anger? You're not going to like this one because it sounds cliche, but it's biblical. (laughs) Pray about it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, we should pray for the people who do us wrong. And usually you're like, I do pray for them. I say, God, you get them. You get them right now. Don't let them win the gold, the silver, or the bronze. Let their lattes be cold. May their radio not work. May it only play country music. I'm just kidding. (coughs) We pray about these people, but we usually pray that God gets them. They're called imprecatory prayers. God, you go get them. Get them now, get them good, and get them better than I would. And if you don't do it fast enough, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. That's what we usually do. But that's not what Jesus said and said, God would like us to pray that our offenders are changed by God's grace so that they can see what they've done wrong and repent and make things right and live a full, fruitful life. What happens when you start to pray that way, and it's very unnatural at first. When you start to pray that way, something changes in your heart. You stop rooting for bad things to happen and you start looking for good things to happen in their life. And as long as you're rooting for bad things, if you get a a subtle pleasure watching bad things happen to your enemy, that's a sign you've not gotten the whole way to forgiveness yet. What happens, the reason God wants us to do this is it changes our heart towards our enemy. And there's a whole reason why he wants our heart to be changed towards our enemy, and I'll, I'll give it to you in one moment. So you can pray about it. You can talk to somebody that you trust, and I already just talked about that. You have to identify a person. Usually you look for people who will take our side, not necessarily people who will listen objectively and speak truth into our lives. But if you can identify a person you trust, their counsel and their empathy can go a long way to helping you get that anger out of your heart into a safe environment for healing and health. The other thing you can do is confront. You can confront the person who did you wrong. Now, this could be a whole message in and of itself. It probably needs to be, but I've got like eight sentences. So here's, here's what I'll give you. I tried to distill this down. The Bible does not teach, to, teach us to sweep other people's offenses under the rug when they do us wrong. Quite the contrary. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, go to the person who did us wrong alone, privately, and show them what they did. Present facts to them, show them their fault. And in this way, it's not you against them, it's you and them against the fault. Okay? It's unpleasant, it's messy, it's difficult, but it's healthy and appropriate for moving towards forgiveness. Now, it's not a command that you always have to confront. I know some of you are like, should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? I don't really like to confront. I'm not good at it. Listen, let me give you two very quick instances where the Bible says you can confront. This might help you start parsing through this a little bit. First of all, Matthew 18 says this. You should definitely confront somebody when the sin is serious enough to cool off your relationship. 
would rupture a relationship or take a relationship that was good and then the sin happened and now it's bad. Because Jesus wants us to prioritize maintaining good, solid Christian relationships in our life. If the offense between you and this person has caused you in any way, shape, or form or them to back away from the relationship, it's less healthy than it once was. Matthew 18, 15 says you should go confront them. Secondly, if the sin against you is evidently part of a pattern of behavior that the other person is seriously stuck in, Galatians 6.1 says that you should go and confront that person. If they're doing the same thing to you over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they don't see it, and they don't get it, love says, let's go at least give it a shot to confront them about it because we don't want them to keep being stuck in that cycle of sin. Well, pastor, that's really difficult. How can I do that? Good, glad you asked. Number three, you have to surrender your desire to get even and choose to have compassion on your offender. I won't read all of Romans 12, 17 to 21 this morning. We, we took a little extra time in worship, which is awesome. So I'm going to just cruise on from there. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. You have to surrender your desire to get even and choose to have compassion on your offender. Here's why all these steps are so important to confrontation. If you've not gotten to forgiveness yet, confrontation will end horribly for you. You have to get to a place where in your heart you've begun moving towards forgiveness or else you'll never be able to be mature enough to have a conversation with someone about the fault. Paul and Jesus both say you have to do two things simultaneously in order to really move in the steps of forgiveness. You have to practice inner forgiveness and you have to be willing to practice rebuking and correcting people when they do you wrong. You have to be able to do both. We have to learn to completely surrender the right for revenge or to pay back or get even. We have to give that up. But at the same time, we have to refuse to overlook injustice and we have to require that serious wrongdoing gets addressed. How do we do that? Here's how we usually do this. We usually get this completely backwards. What we do is that on the outside of us, we pretend that everything is okay as best we can. On the outside, we make it kind of look like everything is good. That's called, in Patrick Lencioni's language, artificial harmony. Fake it till you make it. And on the inside, we're still just as angry and bitter as ever and getting worse all the time. So what we usually practice is we're going to try and make it look like peaceful out here, avoiding conflict, make everything look good so I don't have to deal with it. But on the inside, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to churn and get angry and get upset and get anxious and be torn up. The Bible says that's completely backwards. The Bible spins this on its ear and says this. The Bible says this. You should start with forgiveness and peace on the inside. You say, I am I'm a broken person just like they are. God, I need your help to forgive them. I'm not going to view them in the lens of the offense. I invite your peace in my life. I invite your peace in their life. And now give me the courage and the confidence to be able to go with this attitude of making peace to the person who did me wrong. And then I'm going to correct them and I'm going to show them what they did wrong, but I'm going to do it in a spirit that's going to make it most likely for a positive outcome to happen. You see, the Bible says you start with inner forgiveness and that gives you the satiety and the clarity and the peace of mind and level-headedness to walk into what could be a very delicate, difficult situation and show that person they're wrong in, in such a way that you're not trying to make them feel bad or put yourself forward or win an argument, but you're really saying, I care about you and I want you and I to work together on resolving this so that both of us can live in peace. You see how that works? You have to surrender your right to get revenge. Now, not that revenge is bad. God just says, I'll take care of revenge. Romans 12. God says, I keep good records so you don't have to. Vengeance is mine, says God. Vengeance is not yours. What happens is you and I like to play God and we like to get vengeance our way. And the moment that we do, we replace God and we have now put, inserted ourselves between God and the person we want him to get. So God has to deal with you and my sin first. And that's very difficult. 
It could be that the reason that you're not getting traction in your situation is you're still trying to repay the person for what they did to you. You might be doing it righteously, subtly, or in your own way, in your own, in your own mind, you're doing it in a way that justifies you, but it could be short-circuiting the whole progress, process. In fact, nothing quicker derails your spiritual growth than harboring unforgiveness. It's tough to worship. You won't feel God's presence. You'll read the Bible and nothing jumps out at you. Those things take deep roots in our heart. I just want to give you the tools to be able to remove them. So you have to choose to forgive. You have to release your anger in a healthy way. You have to surrender this right that you have to get, even to get justice, so to speak, and have compassion on your enemy. While at the same time, not being a doormat, letting people walk all over, you've got to hold them accountable for what they do. You've got to show them their wrongs. That's what loving brothers and Christians do. The assumption that Jesus makes in this is that why wouldn't I, as a Christian, want the opportunity to make something right with somebody that I did wrong? I should be thankful that Stuart came to me and said that, hey, I want to, you know, I, the other week you said something or did something that hurt me and it's just been settling heavy in my heart. Can I show you this? Can we? Jesus assumes why wouldn't I want that? So not only do you need to be good about approaching people with, you know, when, when you need them to, you know, when you need to forgive them and they need to own something, you also need to be approachable. When people come to you and say, I need to show you a fault that you did and not be so defensive and angry and marge. We want to be better and we want that thing to be removed so that we can live in peace. Pastor, that's difficult. It sure is. It's tough. But Jesus is an expert in forgiveness and if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, his spirit lives inside of you and he'll help you. And he's gracious. If you blow it, you get a do-over, right? I don't want to become that kind of a church that everybody talks about church, where there's factions and cliques, and this one can't talk to that one. Listen, we're a bunch of human beings. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace, but we've been called to a higher standard. And if we're going to be disciples, we can't sweep this lesson under the rug. We've got to learn what it means to forgive other people. And finally, I've got to prepare you for something. This is not the fun part, but here's, here's the final point. Number four, every time the offense returns to your mind, forgive again. Peter came to, the whole story was, an answer to a question. Peter said, how many times should I forgive somebody? And he's talking about the worst kind of sinner, the repeat offender. You know, their law only obligated them like three times. Peter says, I'm, hey, up to seven times because I'm extra holy, really good follower, strong guy, Peter, Cephas, the rock. He says, up to seven times. Jesus says, nah, 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying is, as many times as you are sinned against, you forgive i got to tell you, there are some people that are just very hard to forgive. There are some people that are easy to forgive. We have grace on them. They're immediately repentant. They're remorseful. It's easy to forgive. The pe- what, what about the people who don't think they did anything wrong or that they never do anything wrong? The, those few people in your life that nothing is ever their fault, they're like the exception. Nothing's their fault. So hard for people to forgive. You don't have to turn on the news a few minutes. You'll see how unforgiveness destroys relationship. Katy Perry can't forgive Taylor Swift, who can't forgive Kanye, who can't get along with anybody. Lots of people are mad at Hillary for Benghazi and rigging primaries and this and that and the other. Lots of the world is mad at Donald Trump for too many reasons to list. Sports, you've got Michael Phelps and what's the joker from South Africa? Who, you know, the, it was shadow boxing, Laclosse or whatever his name was, shadow boxing and saying all these things about Michael Phelps who then just soundly beat him. And, and then they're shaking hands and bro-hugging afterwards. I'm like, what was all that about? You know, 
Alex Rodriguez and Joe Girardi can't get along about how his last week, the farewell tour, should go with the Yankees. You just don't have to look too far when you can see our world doesn't understand how to forgive. Our world doesn't understand how to deal with offenses. Our world doesn't, we don't have a good example out there for how you rebuild relationships. Except for the church. The church can be an example for how you can let things go. And the things that can't be let go, how you can deal with them honestly, openly, with a heart that says, let's work through this. It's not you against me. It's you and me on a team against the problem. And the two of us are going to work this thing out. That's what it is. Now, does that always mean that the other person wants to work it out? No, but once you, if you've tried and they don't want to work it out, then you let the dust fall off your feet and you move on as best you can. The Bible gives us even a protocol for that. But I know in the house this morning, there's probably some people that you and I need to take another step towards forgiving them in our hearts. And maybe you even need to take a step towards God and invite him to forgive you. And if you appeal to him for mercy, he'll answer your prayer. I'll invite our worship team to come. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me as we close this morning? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to do uh, just a risky exercise. Could you just invite the Holy Spirit to drop a name of somebody in your heart? You know you need his help to keep forgiving. Would you just think of that person right now for a moment? Realize that's not a happy thought. If you don't have anybody, awesome. Just hang, hang with me for a second. Can we just together all over this room just take a moment and ask for God's help to give us the power to be able to forgive? God, we recognize we're helpless. We want to forgive. We hear your word today. We know forgiveness is probably the best gift we could ever give to ourselves and to other people. We also know how incredibly expensive and hard that it is. Thank you that you haven't left us alone to figure this out on our own, to be superhuman. We're just human. Will you help us forgive? And then you just think that or whisper that name to God this morning. Help me to forgive that person. I want to. I want to move past it. I don't want to root for their failure. I don't want to root to be repaid. I want them to have an experience with you. I want them to enjoy intimacy with you, and I know that they can't until they've really gotten this right with you. So I pray, God, that you'll help them turn to you today. Will you help me not become a stumbling block in their life? Thank you for forgiving me, God. You've forgiven me of everything, and you keep forgiving me. I want that to change my heart even more today so that I'm able to more quickly and easily forgive people. And God also tell us if there's another step we need to take, and it's going to be different for all of us in all of our unique situations, if there's another step we need to take, will you just give us a clear sense of whether we need to, to confront or not, or if it's just something we need to let go? We need your help in that. We know you give us some, some leeway to choose wisely here, and so we appeal to you for wisdom today. If you're here this morning and... You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Or it's been a long time since you've confessed your sins to him and you just feel like there's a distance between you and God. I want to lead you in a prayer of confession and salvation this morning. You probably already know that that's you, so I'm not going to single you out or draw this out. But if that's you, I want to give you a clear, simple prayer. You can pray right now, right in your seat. I'll pray it a phrase at a time and you can just grab that and make it yours and pray to God about it. I want you to be able to walk in complete forgiveness and freedom in Christ today. So you can pray a prayer that says like this, Jesus, 
I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to earth. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the dead and you're alive today. I know I owe you. Every sin I know has incurred a big debt between me and God. Will you forgive me? Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your forgiveness and I feel this load lifted off of my shoulders. I make you my Lord, my ultimate leader. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I look forward to how you're going to transform me. In your name I pray, amen.